0: Well, as we begin, I just gotta tell you how much you ministered to me this morning. My goodness, from that very first song and the way that you sang with such conviction, it just, you should sit up here sometime. I know the front row is not a popular place to be, but you ought to try it sometime because it's truly amazing. But even just this morning in our family meeting, just seeing how faithfully over this past year that has been so difficult for so many, how you in the midst of that we're so faithful to this church and how through your generosity, so many people in this church who were in hard places were helped in that time. It's, I mean, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be a part of this body of believers and to be a member of this church family. So thank you for ministering to me this morning. Um, during my first year in college, I began in landscape architecture, uh, mainly because I loved nature. And I loved being outdoors, so sounded like a good fit. But but all that's still true for me today. I, I love learning about plants and animals and, and trees. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's not a nature show that's ever been produced that I have not watched, right? I just I could just watch them all day long. Um, that's why our passage this morning is particularly interesting to me, because Paul is gonna take some imagery out of nature to help make his point. And he does so by highlighting this ancient practice of grafting trees. Now, as you can see in this first picture, uh, this is what the grafting process looks like. They take a branch from a, another tree and they splice it into an existing tree. And amazingly, those two branches grow together and form a new bond. Now, in this picture, these are actually These colors represent three different varieties of apples grafted into the same tree. And those grafts have already healed. It looks like a normal tree, right? And if you look at that tree when it's grown and big, it's going to look like an apple tree, but it's going to produce three different kinds of apples. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's how that process works. Probably the main reason this method is employed in agriculture is to take advantage of a healthy root system see trees with healthy roots are more disease resistant they produce better fruit so instead of growing a new tree from a seed which you know you have no guarantee how that's going to turn out it makes a lot more sense to graft into an existing tree that you already know is good as I researched this over the, the past week, which you might tell I kind of had fun, uh, finally if I had to think, oh, yeah, i got to write a sermon. I better stop doing this. But I, I ran across an interesting project called the Tree of 40 Fruits. Has anybody heard of that project? See, I hadn't either. It's totally fascinating. Um, it began as a creative project by an art professor at Syracuse University. This is his artist's rendering of kind of what he had in mind. And so here was his goal. His goal was to graft in 40 varieties of stone fruit into one single tree. So this would be like peaches, apricots, plums, cherries, all in one tree. And he actually mapped out their blooming patterns and their colors so that he grafted in specific places and specific times so that this tree would produce the most brilliant variety and color as possible. Now, you might want to know what that tree looks like in real life. That's it. And so if you're wondering, did it work? Well, it actually did. And and amazingly, in one week in August, let me give you an example. Go ahead and go to that next slide. In one week in August, okay, this was the the harvest of plums, all different varieties coming from the very same tree. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) So that's the miracle and power of grafting inside of a tree. And I hope that as we walk through our passage this morning, that those images really come to life as we look at what the Lord has to say. So before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for nature and the way your beauty is put on display. We are grateful for all the ways that you have made yourself known, that the heavens declare the glory of God. Everything pours forth speech and speaks of your goodness So, Father, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, it would be true in what we see in your word as well, that it would pour forth goodness into our lives, drawing us closer to a relationship with you because we understand how much you want a relationship with us, what you went through and went to in order to restore us and reconcile us in the forgiveness of our sins through the sacrifice being made by Jesus Christ on our behalf. So, Lord, Make that come alive. May it bear fruit this morning in our hearts and in our minds. We pray this in your name. Amen. So turn to uh, Romans chapter 11, and we will pick up where we left off last. Romans chapter 11, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15, so if you want to follow along with me, feel free to do so. Verse 15. It says, for if they speaking of Israel, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Now, I want to pause there because I want to kind of unpack how he's beginning this section. When you think about Christianity, you don't often associate it with the Jewish religion. And, and that's important and that's uh, necessary because when you look at the way Christianity is described in scripture it really doesn't attach it to any ethnicity does it right it says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 it says that there's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither slave nor free there's neither male nor female for we are all one in Christ Jesus and if we belong to Christ then we are Abraham's descendants heirs according to promise So Christianity is not associated or attached to any ethnicity. But what it does say is we all have Jewish roots because it says that we are descendants of Abraham. You see, Christianity is not a new religion that came up in recent years. It's actually a fulfillment of those original promises made to the nation of Israel that were intended to bring a blessing to the world. And Paul says that during his time is Israel's rejection has made possible our reconciliation. So in some ways, instead of the gospel throwing through the nation of Israel to the world, the gospel is now made available to the world, including the nation of Israel, for all who believe. That's why we said in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whoever Whoever, no matter where you are, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your background is, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that community of the redeemed in our world today is what we know as the church. Now, what I want you to be clear on and please understand is that the church did not replace Israel. In in fact, the church includes a remnant. From Israel, Because that's the promise that God made to protect that remnant through all generations. And those promises of God originally made to the nation of Israel still remain. Why? Because they were literal promises to a literal people that will literally be fulfilled. And Paul says when the Jews accept this gospel message, it's like bringing the dead to life. And when you hear that phrase, I want you to think prodigal son. I want you to think prodigal son. And the reason is, is because Israel at this time is much like the prodigal son, just kind of squandering their inheritance. They have an inheritance of covenant promises. They have an inheritance of prophecies that all point to Jesus as Messiah, but they have chosen to go their own way instead of relying on God's faithful provision. But do you remember what the father said to the prodigal son when he came home? I want you to listen to it. Let me remind you. It's in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read beginning in verse 21. Listen to what he says. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Here it is. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and now he's found and they began to celebrate. That's the picture that Paul wants us to see when he speaks of that bringing dead to life in verse 15. Like a loving father, God patiently waits for Israel's repentance, just like we see in the prodigal son. And when they do, he embraces them with that same love and affection. Those who are dead will be made alive. The nation of Israel has a holy heritage. And despite their rebellion, there is, in fact, a history of belief, a remnant of people who have for generation after generation, believed in the promised provision of God. And that remnant, Paul likens to a a, a holy lump of dough. Now, it's kind of a weird analogy for us, but it would have made total sense in that culture. Because the way they made bread was that they would take a lump of bread, and before baking it, they would take out a pinch of the dough and bake a loaf of bread, and then use that pinch of dough as a starter for the next loaf that they would make. And it would go on and on and on. In fact, they would pass that down from one generation to the next. This went on for generation after generation. And so Paul is saying, if that pinch of dough is holy, then the next lump of dough will be holy as well. It's a picture of that remnant of Jews who believe from one generation to the next, passing down that faith in God's provision. And ultimately, looking to Jesus as the promised Messiah. Well, this imagery probably means a lot to people like Jeff and Amy Oldham because they have a bread starter that actually they still use today that came with their ancestors when they migrated here from Germany. I'm not making this up, all right? So just like in Israel, this has been passed down from one generation to the next. And they're still making bread today by taking out a pinch of that dough as a starter for the next lump of dough. Paul uses that imagery to to illustrate the remnant of faithful Jews in the nation of Israel, a legacy of faith that has been carried from one generation to the next. He, He describes it as a holy root. That goes all the way back to Abraham. And the reason that's important because that's where the nation of Israel began. He's the father of all the Jews. A bloodline of belief that began with him. Remember, he believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was saved by faith. And that same salvation by faith continues to this day. Look at how Paul continues in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and become partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. So this is where the imagery of grafting comes into play. So think back to those pictures that I showed you in the very beginning we looked at the tree of 40 fruits. I want to kind of recast this a little bit and think of that same tree, but let's rename it. Let's call it the tree of grace, okay? It's still beautiful, it still has all that variety, but let's keep that image in mind. The tree of grace, Paul is saying, has Jewish roots, and yet Gentiles have been grafted in. Taken, Paul says, from a wild olive tree. Now, the reason that's important is because wild olive trees have a very shallow root system. They don't produce very good fruit, if any at all. They are prone to disease. And by comparison, they are nothing compared to an established healthy root of a native olive tree. And so Paul is saying that root system of the wild olive tree doesn't even compare. But once grafted in... (laughs) That new branch can now flourish because it's being nourished by that healthy, holy root system. Which is why Paul says to the Gentiles, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Instead, they should be grateful for this new root system that now nourishes their lives in order that they can produce fruit in their lives. For it is not you who support the root, Paul says, but the root that supports you. Be humble, because he says, Branches were broken off so that you could be grafted in. Look at how he continues in verse 19. He says, You will say then, branches were broken off, so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be conceited, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Here we learn why those branches were broken off. It's very clear, isn't it? They were broken off for their unbelief. In the tree of grace, branches can only flourish through faith. In the tree of grace, branches can only flourish and produce fruit through faith. And in the absence of faith, some of those branches are removed. But the root of that tree is still intact. And that history of belief still courses through and nourishes the branches that remain. You see, this is where God's redemptive work through the nation of Israel was first revealed as it was spoken to the person of Abraham. Remember, he promised Abraham what? Three things. He promised him a land, promised him a seed, he promised him a blessing. And the seed that would come from the nation of Israel, as we've been talking about in recent weeks, is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament describes him in several ways over several places. It says that he would be born of a virgin, that he would come from the tribe of Judah, that he would live in the lineage of David, that he would be born specifically in the city of Bethlehem. Isaiah says that he would be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an eternal father, a prince of peace. And every one of those promises and many more throughout the Old Testament were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Paul sums it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, for all the promises of God, not some of them, not a few of them, but all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus This is why it is through him, Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So Paul is saying, How can we as Gentiles be conceited about something we can take absolutely no credit for? This is a work of God. Because he's already made us new. We've been grafted into the tree of grace. And we only flourish through faith as well, which is why Paul gives the warning in verse 21 when he says, if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Now, we need to be careful here not to misinterpret what Paul is saying because he has already made the security of the believer explicitly clear over and over again. I think probably the one that stands out most is in Romans eight twenty. 38 and 39, where he says, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That sounds pretty secure, right? Well, in case there's any doubt, go back to verse 35, where he describes the things that could stand in the way. And he says, no, not tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Bump down to verse 38, nor death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things to come, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So clearly, the security of the believer is undeniable. God never removes a branch once they truly believe. The only branch that is ever removed are those that do not believe. And that's true for the Jews as well as the Gentiles. Because here's the key. God's grace gives all of us access to God's covenant promises. All of us access. But that is; those promises are only applied to our lives through faith. So we all have access through grace. Grace, but they only apply to our lives through faith. As Paul said back in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, he says, They are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. So if we were to apply that in our context today, I would say, They are not all Christians who belong to a church. Because righteousness is not a trait that you inherit, it is a gift that must be received through faith in Christ alone. That's how you are held secure in the tree of grace. God never removes a branch that truly believes. Why? Because his promise holds us secure. Now, look at verse 22 of our passage. Behold, then, the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into the olive tree? This is such good news, so listen closely. At first glance, it seems that kindness and severity are are opposites from one another. Uh, We probably look at that and say a person who is kind can't be severe, right? And a person who's severe must not be kind. But in reality, they actually complement one another. There is kindness in the severity of God. In fact, I would go so far as to say that God would be unkind if he wasn't severe. Because in its context, the word severe here... Literally means to to sever or to cut. And in this context, it's describing the discipline of God, not the final judgment of God. So don't miss that. In this context, being cut off is referring to the discipline of God, not the final judgment of God. How do I know that? Because it goes on and says that the branches who have been cut off for rebellion can be grafted back in through repentance. Repentance. Those who have been cut off by rebellion can be grafted back in through repentance. In other words, God does not abandon his people even when his people abandon their God. Isn't that good news? You see, God's covenant promises to Israel were unconditional, which means there is nothing that they can do personally to invalidate what God said he would do for them. He made a literal promise to literal people that will be literally fulfilled and he will protect a remnant until the completion of all those promises one by one. Repentance in that context, until that time, until those promises are ultimately fulfilled, repentance is always bringing restoration because here's the key, you can never fall beyond the limits of God's infinite grace. Again, good news, right? Which is why David wrote in Psalm 51-7, I love this passage, listen to what he says. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite, or another word there, is repentant heart. God will not refuse. God will always restore a repentant heart. He will bring healing in the lives of those who humbly surrender to him. And so, once again, I want us to take this passage that clearly is uh, directed to the nation of Israel and promises made to God through them, but I want to think about how these things also apply to us. And to do that, again, go back and think about the tree of grace. Get that image in your mind again. A tree that has a number of branches, some of them bearing fruit, others not and yet God's grace extends to them all. That's how they're nourished. That's how they survive. It's because God's grace extends to them all. In fact, it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. Speaking of God, he says, for he, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. See, this is God's common grace extended to all of humanity no matter how undeserving we may be and for those who are outside the nation of Israel he extends his grace by inviting us in to those promises God graciously gives us access to the covenant promises that he originally made to Israel now listen to how this plays itself out as Paul explains it to the Ephesians in chapter 2 verse 11 It says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in uh, the flesh by hands. Remember, and here's the key, remember that you were at that time separated, or we might say cut off, severed from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world, but now you have, now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near, or I might even say grafted in by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what allows the church to be grafted in to the tree of grace. But again, just because you're involved in a church does not mean that you belong to the church just like a person who is born Jewish is not automatically a child of God. Faith is the only way possible to become a member of the family of God, which is why Jesus told Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader. Remember what he told him? He said, you must be born again because Nicodemus, like many of the Jews, felt like having been born a Jew was the ticket to get in. And Jesus says, no, that's not enough. You've got to be born again. You must believe in Jesus and flourish through faith. Ephesians 2.5 says he had to be made alive together with Christ. Born again through faith, raised to walk in a newness of life. And what is true for Nicodemus is equally true for every one of us in this room this morning. Just because you were born in the church does not mean that you belong to the family of God. You must believe in Jesus and flourish through faith, have been grafted into the tree of grace and held secure by God's eternally faithful promises. As John the Baptist preached in Matthew 3.8, he says, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, knowing that God will always restore a repentant heart. But our belief also comes with an important responsibility. And I don't want us to miss this. Our belief comes with an important responsibility because one of the reasons that Israel lost their way is because they lost their heart for other people. One of the reasons Israel lost their way is because they lost their heart for other people. Their primary concern many times was their own personal purity, So their lives didn't bear fruit that was to the benefit of other people. Jesus explains what it should look like in John chapter 15 in a very familiar verse, but put it in the context of what we've been talking about this morning. Listen to what he says. He says, abide in me, and I am you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. That's a promise. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I would add here that that fruit that we bear is intended to be a blessing to other people. When you walk by a tree that's bearing delicious fruit, you want to take a bite, don't you? You want to be nourished by what that tree is producing. We want to be able to to fulfill the words of David. I love these words when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And how blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. We want our lives to put the fruit of the gospel on display. And yes, it should be beautiful. Just like the tree of 40 fruits. Let's take a look at that again. And just think about that in the context of your life. The tree of grace should be a beautiful display of God's goodness to the world. We should flourish in our faith as we abide in our relationship with Christ. The fruit of our lives should be a blessing to the people around us as we are always prepared to share the hope that is within us And the promises that hold us secure. Amen. Let's pray together. Father we are so grateful. For the beautiful imagery of your word. The way that you speak truth. In ways that we can now store in our minds. And understand. The great work that you have done. To graft us in. To a tree. That which we. To which we don't naturally belong. But you have invited us in. To be a part of the promises spoken through the nation of Israel, now made available to the world, so that whoever believes in you, Jesus, will be saved. And through that belief, we are held secure in the tree of grace by the promise of God until we live eternally in your presence, in the tree of life, (laughs) the paradise that awaits those who have put their faith and trust in you, where sin will be gone. No more grieving, no more, no more shame, no more hurt. But Lord, you make all things new. Lord, we get a taste of that right now because you are making things new in our life right now. And that's the fruit that we want to put on display to the world around us. But oh, do we look to that day when all of our flaws, all of our imperfections are removed because we are made perfect in your sight by your grace that will nourish us For all eternity. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Stand and let's sing together. Thank you again for your ministry to me this morning. I love you guys. And I'm so grateful. So, so grateful to be your pastor. I just want to encourage us to live out this passage in real and meaningful ways. Let's be a family that's filled with grace. So that, like Jeff said, when there are visitors that come in they are nourished, they are loved, they are cared for because of the overflow of God's grace that has been extended to you being poured out into their lives. And let's pray together, okay, specifically. Let's pray together that over the years, the variety of fruit in this room would multiply and that we would see the evidence of God's grace being extended to every tongue, tribe, and nation so that we get a picture of what heaven will be someday. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the privilege of our time together, for the beauty of your message of hope through faith in Christ alone. We have been invited in. We have been grafted in. We have been nourished because of you. And so, Lord, may we just be grateful for that. I I pray that the, the song that we even sang here at the end would just echo grace, grace, God's grace. And may it just... Fill us and and encourage us and strengthen us in the days and weeks ahead. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.